Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. kind of nervous about it, but the doctor says that it's really nothing and should go away on its own. Yeah, well, it shouldn't be green is all I know, dude. I know, I know. Rachel, Rachel's been telling me the same thing, but like I said, you know, I trust my doctor. She's, she's, she's seen me through a lot of other stuff that, that's a little more bizarre than this, but, uh, you know, they, they say that the smell is completely normal, and that's actually part of the healing process, so I don't know. Anyways, we gotta get we gotta get cranking on this episode. I don't know. I think your your doctor may have a sadistic streak in her. But. That, that's entirely possible. I mean, she she she's 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 a nice lady though. Nice lady. <laughs> but uh, God, we've got two episodes at least to get through tonight. So uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll bring us in now then. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. I almost forgot the name of the podcast because I we do so many now. <laughs> It's, and especially since you and I do another one now, it's really confusing. Now, which one is this? <laughs> I am Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And this week we have returned to continue our look at the first, and in my opinion, and I think Scott's too, the greatest superhero team out there, the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the episode, because somebody actually commented on this, I think either on Facebook or somewhere else that we haven't been reading the emails, uh, quick note about that, and no, this isn't a setup for me to throw Scott under the bus uh, like he did me. Never, I never, I never! (laughs) You're lying. I can tell from here and I can't even see you. Dr. Occult would be sad. Um... Uh, we didn't read emails because we were saving it for this episode. Because the, when Scott and I recorded the last batch of episodes, we did like three in one day. We were going to do a fourth one, but we just ran out of time because that's just how the day went. So <laughs> I kind of feel bad about that now because I realized it was going to be like four weeks right. until we got back to the email. And it's piled up. So we're going to be, for the next two episodes... Uh, getting through this, in addition to talking about the comics and, you know, the Hostess Fruit Pies and stuff like that. I, I saw that one that you're talking about. I forget who it was from, but yeah, somebody did did write to us going, uh, you haven't addressed email in the last several episodes, and I felt really bad, like you say, because I, I don't ever want people to think that, well, I guess they're not doing email anymore, or, well, that was a waste of time to write in, because I promise you that no. we are going to address any feedback that we get on the show so you know please don't stop writing keep writing in keep giving us feedback we love it we need it we want it we will be addressing it just it may not happen every single episode depending on if we feel like you know what we're going to be addressing maybe a particularly meaty topic or whatever we may bump you know things back to another episode that we think may not be as meaty or something you know something to that effect but just because we're not doing it every single episode doesn't mean we're not doing it anymore 
Yeah, and, and 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 again, we're sorry. We really are because we we like going through the email because it it does spark a lot of interesting tangents and discussions and stuff. And we just like hearing what y'all think of the material as much as we do because you know it, it's it's not like Scott and I are, are are any better than anybody else. We're just two loudmouths with access to the internet and, <laughs> and audio editing equipment. So. <laughs> That's not me being humble. That's just me telling the truth. (laughs) But we're going to start off, uh, I'll start us off this time, with uh, an email from regular writer to not only this show, but to From Crisis to Crisis, Dion Cottrell. He says, I find that podcasts devoted to past issues and titles add important pieces to the larger picture of the hobby's history. And this is, uh, Dion's mentioning the fact that we, uh, in a past episode, we talked about the fact that it is easier and a little more enjoyable to do a podcast about a past series instead of spending all of our time on Newsarama and comic book resources and The Pulse and everywhere else that has comic book news to try to stay current, because that's like a second freaking job at that point. This cast, and from Crisis to Crisis, woohoo, are of course regular listens for me, but I'm sure any number of others are and will be popping up as time goes on. You you better start listening to Back to the Bins, is all I got to say. Especially if it allows us to document mainstream comics past in an enjoyable way. Until next time, Dion, and he, of course, has his little notes. Uh, One, a new post-52 Earth 2 title would probably be worth a look, but I agree that it could never quite capture the same magic that Roy Thomas and company built up over the course of the early 1980s. Heavily invested in the Earth 2 characters, so I would find it hard to resist checking it out. As much as I appreciate Grant Morrison's work at DC Comics, I wish slash hope they'd set aside Earth 2 for other purposes with a solid creative team. I just think Grant Morrison needs to take a break. I don't know so much take a break as be run out of town on a rail. That's really <laughs> what I'd like to see happen to Grant I forgot that you hated him so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> Keith Giffen's run on The Defenders, number 42 to 54, was penned in part by Jerry Conway. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's the connection that led to the pair's later team up on the relaunched Justice Society. Beyond that, Roger Siffler... I almost said Stifler. I thought you were going to say Syphilis, actually. (laughs) No, I'm not checking the uh, levels of my audio. And David Kraft handled most of Giffen's issues, and boy, did they pull out the stops on the wild, weird, and fun comic strain. No doubt, man. (laughs) That, like, from... from, Because I have, like, from issues uh, around, like, 48 on... Mm-hmm. Man, the four, the fifties and sixties of the Defenders was just freaking weird. <laughs> it was great. Marvel is reprinting the series as part of its Essentials line, and I recommend it to the fan of nineteen seventies comics. Or you can find it like I did in a fifty cent bin and buy like almost the entire series <laughs> for cheap. Uh, as we discussed in a recent Back to the Bins, actually. Giffen and Wally Wood's Superman looks like an aged version of Siegel and Schuster's, just as it should be. Amen. Mm -hmm. More generally, Giffen's layouts are, even this early in his career, inventive and often dynamic. Although his style tends 
toward the cartoonier side of the mainstream superhero tradition, his design sense clearly owes something to Jim Steranko, Neil Adams, and other illustrators who borrowed heavily from advertising and the popular culture of the late 1960s and early 1970s. The Doctor Fate origin recap and full-page Xanadu reveal are the best examples in All-Star Comics number 62, and I agree with that completely. Those were just beautiful pieces of art. Mm-hmm. And nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were still reading. <laughs> no, that's fine. That was it. That's it from Dion on that okay. one. But we will be hearing from Dion again. Well, we mentioned it a couple of times now. Um, have we officially announced on this program what is going on with, with us and Back to the Bins? Have we done that yet? No, we haven't because when we were recording those episodes, we knew it was happening. But it was it was a little far off from where we were going to be uh, from where we were going to be doing them because we didn't quite know what we were doing at that time. Right. So uh, go ahead. Make the announcement. Well, starting with, uh, I'm not sure what episode will be out by the time you're hearing this episode of Tales, but uh, I do a show called Back to the Bin, which is on the same feed. It's at, You can find it at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. And starting with episode number 37, Michael, Mr. Michael Bailey, that's here with me today, is uh, my new permanent co-host on that show. So we'll be doing that together. If you have not ever checked out Back to the Bins, here's the basic premise. Here's the basic rundown. It's a show where uh, Michael and I will each pick a comic completely randomly. We won't tell the other person what it is that we're picking. And we come in, we review it, and we talk about it. And um, these are comics from 1995 and older, going way on back. And uh, it's just all for fun. It's uh, just good old-fashioned, random comic book back-issue diving fun. And uh, I hope you'll join us, because we're having a blast doing it so far. Number 37 was actually something of a special episode where we we did reveal ahead of time what it was. We uh, covered Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, that great big huge treasury edition book from back in, uh, what was that, 75, 76? And that was a... and us doing that episode was kind of based on us talking about that in an episode of this series. Right. So it's very incestuous. Yeah, the, the shows definitely uh, are, are, are very inter interconnected, intertwined. It's almost sister shows, if you will. So I, I, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be part of the show. Uh, I, you emailed me something today, and I, and I think it pretty much describes it you know it's two disenfranchised comic book fans trying to reconnect with what they like about the medium in the first right. place and instead of devoting an entire show about complaining about what's wrong with comics now <laughs> let's talk about what could quite possibly be wrong but is most more than likely awesome about comics of the past and i dug through my comics the other day and i and i dug out a, a whole stack of dc books so i'm uh, i'm kind of excited <laughs> I, th- I think they're going to be great. And, you know, it, it, basically all of the tangents we have on this show, that's the entire Back to the Bins experience. Right. <laughs> Very much so. Well, I've got one here um, from Jack. How did we decide his name? His last name was pronounced. Was it Perez? Is that right? Jack? Uh, I, I was I was leaning towards Perez, Perez, but I could be wrong on that, and I'm sure he will correct us. Okay. Need to need to let us know there, Jack. I think he said that I pronounced it right the last time, but now I can't remember how I pronounced it the last time. 
Anyway, his is entitled Episode 6, Awesome Sauce. Says, hi, Michael and Scott. Thanks for episode six. This podcast series is awesome sauce. For All-Star Comics number 62, you guys were spot on with Power Girl and Superman having a family discussion. This highlights why Earth 2 was amazing. There were actual moments of realistic human interaction and consequences. And again, this demonstrates how the JSA was more like a family than a bunch of random heroes on a team together. Absolutely. That's why I like the JSAs so much because yes. they I think they did it better than any other superhero team ever did as far as feeling very natural together and feeling very cohesive rather than just all the big guns in one book. Uh, he says, your discussion on Hawkman's costume was completely on point. How does he get into restaurants and buildings? What about the no shirt, no service rule? <laughs> I love that. I, I've, I've always wondered, you know, if it's no shoes, no shirt, no service, can I not wear pants? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to test it out, but I think there's a just curious. I, think I remember reading a Howard the Duck story like that one time where they wanted him to put pants on, and he just pointed to the, the sign that said no shirt, no shoes, and he had like his jacket with the tie and hat and everything, but he just didn't have any pants. On. <laughs> he says, uh, seriously though. Uh, not my favorite costume, mainly for the mask. It's a ski mask with a red hawk symbol on the forehead. Batman puts he's, the he's, symbol he's on his right. Yeah, he is right. Says Batman puts the symbol on his chest as a sniper target. Is Hawkman that self-destructive? <laughs> Explains his belligerence. Hawkman has a death wish. <laughs> It says, oh, you guys were, uh, you guys wondered where I am located. I am in Toronto, Ontario. Oh, cool. Interesting factoid. One of the differences between Earth 1, Earth Prime, and Earth 2 is that Earth 2 has uh, Quebec as its own country. I did not know that. I had completely forgotten about that, too. He says, how about that? (laughs) Marvel gives the world Wolverine, a Canadian... Schuster, born in Canada, gives the world Superman. What does DC do for Canada? Breaks up Canada in an alternate universe. Thanks, DC. <laughs> well, you got to remember, too, that Plastique, uh, the character who was introduced in Firestorm, mm-hmm. her origin is rooted in being part of the more militant faction of wanting Canada to be sec- uh, seceded, basically. Right. So, uh, it's not just here, it's there too. So there you go. She and Captain Adam eventually get married, or she was his girlfriend or something like that? Yeah, they got married, and unfortunately, that was really mentioned in that Law miniseries Mm -hmm. that came out in, like, 1999, where they were getting all the Carlton characters back together, and it sucked. Uh, I was just going to say, I think I'm the only person that liked that book, and then you have to go and say that. Hey, as many times as I've, like, absolutely loved something and you've come and taken a big old dump <laughs> on my plate, I think, I, I, I think you owe me, pal. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Jack goes on to say, and I almost typed out a two-page rant on current DC shenanigans. Oh, go ahead, brother. I'd love to read that. He yeah, says, okay. here's, the, <laughs> here's the condensed stream of consciousness version. 
Uh, two years in advance announcements. Grant Morrison writing a large crossover again. Final Crisis was just legends made more brutal. The death of Bruce Wayne. I don't wish to provide a spoiler on your future podcast, but been there, done that. They might as well bump off Superman again. Then bringing him back? The current Superman run just ruins the myth of Superman as the last son of Krypton. Amen. He says, shenanigans. I call shenanigans on the whole thing, and I love DC heroes. Well, that that's my stance exactly. I love DC. I love comic books. I love all their characters. I, I can't fucking read most of what they're putting out this, these days myself. So, Jack, I totally yeah. agree with you, brother. And, and, I, and I applaud DC on their imagination in, in coming up with event titles. Uh, <laughs> they're follow, following Blackest Night with uh, with Brightest Day. <gasps> really? Isn't I didn't cute? see that coming a mile away. Okay. <laughs> they added it up. If you bought all of the Brightest Day crossovers, it would cost you $100. <laughs> he says, I wish to end the email on a more positive note. Hope that you and your family have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Cool Kwanzaa, or other winter holiday you are doing. Be safe. Best, Jack. Um, my Christmas was awesome. My Kwanzaa kind of sucked, though. Didn't even get in. Yeah, my Kwanzaa, uh, no one came. <laughs> it was very depressing. The solstice was good, though. Jack actually has a little too. bit of a PS here, and uh, he says, you might want to skip the below response regarding your sports and geeks questions. No, man, you took the time to write it. I'm going to take the time to read it. He says, much too long and not related to Earth 2 JSA. Well, shit, that describes half of our program right there. <laughs> he says, regarding sports, uh, not that much the playing sports except football. I'll try not to hold that against you, Jack. I hate no, a team. There's wrong with football. There's everything wrong with football, but that's besides the point. I won't get into one of my little rants, but he says, I hated team, sport, uh, team events overall where the reward was nothing except sweating for eight months with some dumbass coach who was a legend in their own mind screaming at you in the mornings. You know, you, you ever run into that guy that their high school football coach was like the end-all, be-all of their, uh, uh, of their existence? Like everything he said was, was freaking gold and they based their entire life over his rantings? Yeah, I hate those <laughs> I think I think once or twice actually, yeah. He says I also yeah. <laughs> I also started getting thick glasses and growing up in the eighties, uh glasses were were huge, making it difficult to do any intense sports when breaking them was a concern. That stopped my interest in football. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> I do fantasy leagues from time to time as uh, as a fun math exercise. Other uh, others actually watch every game and follow the players. I will just spreadsheet everything and super crunch the numbers. Don't have the time for more hobbies with a young family and work. Uh, I find that I find people that really like X Men are really into basketball collecting. DC fans uh, that do seem to get into the sport through saber metric type stuff. I don't. <laughs> he lost. Yeah, he lost me. On do 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 not go into the internet. <laughs> not at all. That sound you hear? That's not me typing. <laughs> okay. Is the analysis of baseball through objective evidence, especially baseball statistics? Oh, I've heard of this. Oh, okay. And, and you know what? That actually makes kind of sense when you think about it. If 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 you're talking about something that is. 
an analysis uh, of a subject through objective evidence that does describe DC fans. You know, when with the, their obsessive compulsive nature, not that we do that over continuity and Earth One and Earth Two and the differences between the two. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know, dude. You're making my head hurt. I think you're getting into Grant Morrison shit there. I, I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> no, because you can understand what I was saying. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. He, he also comments on uh, on geeks. He says uh, there are different types of geeks. Geeks know that. Non-geeks do not. No, I, no yeah, shit. absolutely. I get ticked off when people think that I am involved in everything that has some sort of geek affinity. I didn't watch Buffy. I don't watch Attack of the Show. I never played Magic the Gathering. I have never played Halo. Then I remember that I am being asked by a non-geek a bunch of geek questions. <laughs> okay, now I get it. I, uh, I was at work the other day. Uh, no, it was yesterday. And I wanted to slap the guy I was talking to. Because he comes in and he looks at me. He goes, I need to talk to one of your geeks about my computer. And I'm like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Look, I understand, you know, geek has become like the catch-all for anybody that knows anything about technology. But basically what you just said is, I'm going to come in here and insult your your staff so that they can assist me. Right. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I, I that, was, uh, that was one of the things when we were emailing each other today that I said I, I was in a kind of a bad mood. That's one of the things I'm in a bad mood about, so. It's funny because you know I think the show is going very well so far, but actually we were, we both were in a very very foul mood before the show started. <laughs> you know I had this homework assignment that that was due tonight by midnight, right? And so I got up today early to get cranking on it and everything. I got all my shit that I needed to get done for the day done by noontime. So I sit down to do this assignment. Well, I had to install the program that came with the book before I could start the assignment. Four fucking hours later, the thing's still installing. I haven't even started on the actual assignment yet. Four fucking hours this thing took to install. By the time it finally was installed and everything, I was too fucking burned out to really want to deal with it. You know, I mean, I got it done, but I'll probably get a shit grade on it. But, oh, my God, I was I was pissed. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> he goes on to say, non-geeks and non-comic book people don't differentiate. Comic book fans will direct, differentiate by company, genre, age, alternate versus mainstream, etc. Non-comic book fans think they are all just comic books. They don't differentiate. That's absolutely the truth. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> well, you know what's worse than that? And I think we've touched on this before, too. What's worse than that to me is the people that are sort of into comics but they're into their fucking manga or they're into Sandman or something like this and they, and they hold themselves as you know, they're snootier and they're all above, you know, the superheroes and, oh, you read that stuff? Well, you know, I'm so much better because I read, you know... Uh, I call them sandheads. Yeah. Because during the 90s, you want to talk about a shitty time to be a superhero fan. God damn it. I'm serious. <laughs> when Sandman was really popular and when Books of Magic started getting popular and Vertigo really took hold of the comic book industry and Preacher started coming out, my life was freaking miserable. Because, oh, you're into superheroes? Right. Yeah. So, you know, 
I, I'm glad you wear black. I'm glad you smoke your clove cigarettes. I'm glad you have your black eyeliner. Go watch the fucking crow in your house and leave me alone, okay, asshole? Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what uh, he, he finishes up his letter here by saying, what I really hate now is that I have been co-opted by hipsters. My Clark Kent glasses are now being worn by everyone. Everyone is interested in superhero movies, while my clothing is considered rare and hip. Even my music collection is considered cool. Everyone asks me where I bought all this fashionable retro stuff, which is just stuff that I've had for the past ten years. Nerds are somehow cool, except for real nerds. This makes absolutely no sense. And why do people think that they can come up to me and ask me these ridiculous questions? I don't go up to mothers and daughters and ask them if they have any annoying relationship like that crap show Gilmore Curls. I don't go up to sports fan and ask if they love starting riots. I, I loved this letter, especially the end of this. Now, yeah. This was the segment that he said, you know, skip this if you want. But I thought it was the best part of the letter because I feel exactly the same way. And yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it does. It really. I'll tell you, the person it really annoys is is Chris Honeywell. You know, my. Oh yeah, that episode. I I really. It's going to seem like we're just trying to pimp our other stuff, and that's really not the case. But you guys got to track down the episode of Two True Freaks, um, called uh, Geekdom or Nerddom as a Social Disease, or 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 when fandom like turns that. to me- mental illness. Yeah, when fandom turns to mental illness, I completely fucked up the name of that episode. I'm sorry. I listen. Usually, when I listen to a podcast, uh, especially one I'm trying to catch up on, I will burn through episodes. I actually sat and listened to that one all the way through twice in a row, <laughs> simply because Scott and Chris talk about and, and it's a free flowing discussion. It goes all over the place, but the main discussion is supposed to be about how, at times, people who are way too into their shit are kind of crazy you know it, right it, it does it, it it can be kind of don't take this the wrong way it can be kind of like social retardation oh yeah absolutely where where they have no social skills beyond talking to each other about their geek stuff but and chris has the best word for it it's hipsters mm-hmm. and and those are the people that piss me off i, I told my wife today uh she has two t-shirts that she wears to bed every once in a while and they were her brothers from back in 1989. And one of them is that Joker t-shirt where he's pointing the gun at, at, at the person. And there's another Batman one that just has the bat signal in the background with bats flying around it. And I informed her that we could probably sell these for a lot of money. Right. Because people want this stuff. And she goes, put them up on eBay. I'm like, no, they're yours. I like the fact that you wear them. Because uh, I like the fact that my wife wears geeky stuff. You know, she has crap loads of Superman pajamas and stuff. So I feel like I've tagged her somehow. I don't know. But it drives me up the fucking wall that the douchebags that I had to take shit from in high school and college are the ones that are now wearing the shit that is at Walmart and Target. You know, especially the Superman logo. I'm sorry. If you're a douchebag jock, you don't deserve to wear that. That's that's a snotty elitist thing to say, but if you're picking on other kids, leave that freaking symbol alone. Right. Because oh, it doesn't God. mean anything to them, you know? It, it doesn't have the same the same power and the same, uh, you know, it, it doesn't evoke the same emotion or the same feeling in them that it does in us. And, yeah, no, I, I, I feel you, man. I know exactly where you're coming from with that shit because it annoys the hell out of me, too. 
but yeah, I'm 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 going to be really glad when we're shoved back into the closet because then they'll leave us alone. <laughs> My last uh, word on that is, you know, I, I know I've said this before about when I go to like Borders or uh, Barnes and Noble or something, and I see the kids sitting there reading the the fucking manga rack and how worked up I get about that shit. And I decided <laughs> a while ago, the last time I was in one of those stores and saw that. I decided it's no longer a matter of if, it's a matter of when I'm going to walk up to one of these fucking kids and smack the shit out of them and hand them like a, you know, like a reprint of, you know, old Batman comics or something. It's just going to happen because I, every time I see it, 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 my fucking blood pressure goes up higher each time. So it, it's an inevitability at this point. It's going to fucking happen one of these days. And I'll report back when it does and let you know how that shit works out. Have you... <laughs> After you get out of yeah. jail, as soon as somebody makes bail for me, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you seen that Halls commercial where the guy's about to open up the store for the day, and the freaking like gigantic Rambo-looking guy comes in and starts giving him the pet talk? No. Okay, he's, he's it's like this gigantic. It's like this guy. He's coughing. He pops a Halls, and this giant man is comes in. and goes, "Are you ready for the day?" And he starts talking about. It. He's like, "You go out there and you get him," and then he flies back. And, <laughs> And uh, that's kind of what I see you doing. It's just basically, uh, I have this very strong image of these like three guys, three guys like in the and maybe one girl because there's always a girl there. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not the freaking skinny girl with glasses with the torn uh, hole in her jeans with her knees up to her chest reading manga in the corner, it's the three hipster assholes and the one girl that hangs out with them. Right. Uh, like sitting over in the corner talking about civil war or whatever, and I just picture that that conversation happening, and all of a sudden, like the the bookshelf ripping apart, and you coming out and starting ranting at them about what real comics are, taking no, the no, trades no, no, out no, of their no, no, hands no. and putting back. Issues it's going to be much much subtler than that. It's just going to oh, okay. be. It's just going to be. They're going to be sitting there minding their own business, and out of nowhere. They- they get a thwack side the head with a volume of like you know old Batman reprints or something, and I just yank the fucking manga out of their hand and stick that in and say, "Here, read this." You know, it's as simple. It's as simple and as subtle as that. Okay, because that shit annoys me. You know, if you're gonna read comics, god damn it, read some good comics. That fucking shit really down. Need to get a film crew. I, I know we're gonna get letters. They're gonna be saying, hey, "Manga, I love manga. There's a great manga out there." Would it? You know, you know what we're gonna get. Here's the letter we're gonna get. I'll give it to you right now because I know it's coming. What manga have you read, man? You just haven't read the right manga, man. I get that fucking shit all the time. You know? Yeah. Tell me about the. Uh, tell me about the right anime I haven't. Yeah, seen exactly. Either. Save your fingers from the typing and the emailing and all that. It's not going to do any good. I fucking hate it across the board. Okay. <laughs> I'm an I'm an equal opportunity hater when it comes to manga and anime. Okay. It all blows, and I don't like any of it. So, okay. Send your hate mail to Scott at. Oh, oh, lump me in there too because I, I, I kind of feel the same way. Awesome. You know, I, 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 I'm, I, I don't begrudge people liking what they like. Just don't foist it upon me because I'm not interested. Amen, brother. Um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a, we had another long one, which we, we love long emails. People, mm-hmm. seriously, just the, the fact that you have taken the time to write that much means that either we have said something you absolutely hate or have spurned something in you. So that's very awesome. This one is from Stan Johnston. Hey, he did the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, right? 
Was it Stan Winston? Winston Johnston. It's the same damn thing. Don't bust my bubble, damn it. <laughs> you 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 live you live in that little world. <laughs> um, it says uh, Michael R and Scott H opening aside. Apologies in advance for this being so scattershot. I listened to all six episodes back to back. I'm sorry. Scattershot. <laughs> he was that guy in the X Force, right? It's close enough. So all this stuff is fresher on my mind than yours. Yeah, he hooked up with... He turned out to be like the son of Dazzler and... And Longshot, uh, yeah. Long Scattershot, shot, that's so. the guy. Was it Scattershot or Shattershot? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, who gives a shit? He was he, he was drawn by Rob Liefeld. No one should care. Now, that's... that's oh, that's hard. I, I, like, I, like, I like most Rob Liefeld stuff, actually. It's one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> I'm, uh, I hope you kept show notes. So he, he continues, just wanted to drop a quick line to say I finally got around to listening to the Tales of the JSA podcast after hearing it mentioned by that guy, what's-his-face, on Views from the Long Box. That guy's a douchebag. Oh, God, he's such a pretentious asshole. Did you hear that shit that he said about Superman? I don't listen to that show. And I have to say that I count it as one of my favorites. <laughs> he just moves right along. <laughs> That's not true either. You know I'm listening to, through all your. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I was I was just carrying along the the, the the little the little rant we had going there because you and I were the one that did the Superman special. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I don't even realize what I'm being insulted. I guess. <laughs> you two have a great rapport and selected a very interesting subject matter with a wealth of material to draw from. I'm guessing that Scott and I are around the same age. Cough, 44, cough. And my God damn, dude, that's JSA. old. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, that three years. Yeah. Is, uh, that's, be, what, that's what I tell Shag all the time, I'll be too. 42 this um, year. <laughs> and my introduction to the JSA was also the All-Star Comics revival. I was just getting into superheroes after being introduced to comics by the Harvey and Archie titles. And I was all starry-eyed at the thought of a whole other world of heroes to learn about. Mm-hmm. I was... I'm still starry-eyed about that kind of thing, really. I was oblivious to the legacy of the characters, and at the time thought they were new, but I eventually figured out uh, figured things out. I think that I have the same relationship with these characters that you guys do. I love them. But, after having read reprints of a lot of the Golden Age material, I'm not a huge fan of the stories from that era. Some aren't too bad, but a lot of them are just painful to read. Can, can I stop you right there? I actually sure. felt bad about something the other day, and I, I, I'm glad that this came up, because I wanted to run this past you one more time, just to make absolutely sure. Now... I know that that we've had listeners chime in on both sides of this on, you know, some of them going, oh, please continue going on with the Golden Age adventures. And then other guys going, uh, you know, feeling the same way we do, that they're just not enamored of it. But I I just wanted to put it to you, Mike, if you wanted to continue on with that stuff, I I didn't want to discourage you from doing that. That that was totally your call. It was. It wasn't that at all. It was something that I brought to the table, and it was something that I pretty much chose to take off the table because. And it's not that I wasn't enjoying the stories because we had a lot of fun. Oh hell yeah, talking about those things. But it's a time issue, and uh, uh, this is going to sound terrible, but it's not. With everything else I do on the internet, my reading time is at a premium. Right. I don't have a lot. I don't even really have time to read the stuff that I want to read for enjoyment anymore. Not that I'm complaining because I'm having an absolute ball with everything I'm doing. I'm glad to know that it's not just me because actually I'm having the exact same problem. I I can barely meet my reading requirements between 
three, I mean, literally three podcasts that I'm doing now. And then what I've got to do for school. I mean, it took me, I was reading order 66 before we went to dragon con and I just finished it like a week or two ago. Yeah. I mean, I read slow to begin with, but Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, I'm not retarded, you know, I mean, it shouldn't take me six months to read a book, you know, but it did because I, I couldn't find the time to get to it. My buddy Van Allen Plexico, who uh, who is the webmaster of AvengersAssemble.net, uh, sent me his book because he has a, a series of uh, superheroes prose novels oh. in addition to the other writing he does. And he sent me a copy uh, because I had him on the Dragon Con special of Views, and he's going to be on an episode of Views uh, probably in a month or so. And I haven't been able to sit down and read it, and I feel terrible because Mike Poteet sent me his his Star Trek story. And I haven't been able to sit down and read that. So I didn't want to start stressing about things. And I was starting to stress about that segment. And I realized that if I'm stressing about it, it's got to be put to the side. Right. Because it's something that eventually I'm going to, I'm going to start to hate and that's going to come through in the show. And that's not going to be anything I want to do. I want to have fun with this. It's why we're doing so many emails over the next two episodes is to not only get caught up on them, but it's kind of fun to get back to this kind of random part of the show right. before we dive in. Cause I think we're both in agreement. We don't have all that much to say about all-star comics number 67. <laughs> the ads are yeah, fun. Other than picking on it. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I mean, next time we're going to be doing, uh, you know, the origin of the Justice Society, which is going to be a little meatier. But still, you know, this is why I come to the table, basically. I just, I just, basically, it's just to to hang out with you. And talk comics, Uh, absolutely, yeah. And talk comics. And I think that's, I think that's the appeal of all comic book podcasts, is that you feel like you're, you know, the better ones and the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones where I feel like I'm just sitting in the shop listening to a bunch of guys have a conversation about right. something. So, no, I uh, it, it, it was totally me. Don't feel bad about it at all. Cool. You guys are killing me, Stan continues, with the hostess reenactments. <laughs> and just your commentary in general. This will be a podcast I can't listen to in bed at night because my wife would be constantly telling me to stop laughing and go to sleep. <laughs> That's funny. His brain- wife tells me the same thing. I well. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that, that was me. Our first and last email from Stan. <laughs> you talked about Brainwave looking bug-eyed in All-Star number 59. I never thought of it that way until your comment. I'd always assumed there were supposed to be goggles of some kind. <laughs> Maybe they're like uh, Coke bottle goggles. I like the bug idea better. I didn't have a comic shop in my area when I was growing up, and the spinner racks at the convenience store and drug stores never seemed to have annuals or special issues. Finally grew tired of missing issues when I was around 12 or 13 and asked my mom to buy subscriptions for my birthday. I don't remember any cardboard sleeves with mine. They came in a flat brown wrapper as if it was a girly bag or something. He's right, yeah. Because when I subscribed, well, my mother subscribed to... uh, I think I told this story already. My mother meant to get me a subscription to a Superman title. I don't even remember which one it was. But when she sent the subscription form, she wrote the name of the company. She wrote DC Comics. So DC, of course, gets it and goes, I don't know what the fuck she wants. So they sent her DC Comics Presents. So I got a year subscription to that, and it did. It came in one of those girly mag wrappers for the 12 issues that I got it. Yeah. 
Well, given how comic books were thought of at the time, it's it's a very apt <laughs> apt comparison. <laughs> um, if I was lucky, the comic was intact, but it invariably ha- but it would invariably have creases in the cover and a bent spine. I didn't renew my subscriptions when they expired, and eventually began buying my comics via mail order service. Uh, I'm interested in uh, in which one you were do- using, Stan. Were you using like Mile High or Westfield or something like that? Because those were the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember in the '80s, so I, I don't know if there was uh, another one. I'm kind of int- I, I'm just fascinated by stuff like that. As uh, a future episode of Views, you and Chris are going to be on to talk old time collecting. Back in my day, I didn't. I, I did that for years until the mid '80s when I discovered a comic book shop about half hour away. I'm lucky <laughs> enough now to have one about four blocks away. Now, where, where is Stan? For, he didn't tell us where he's from. I don't. I don't think he. No, he write didn't. in again and tell us where you're from, Stan. I'm just curious uh, what what your comic shop was that you discovered near where you are. I couldn't help but think fondly of the JLA when you mentioned Dick Dillon. I will forever associate him with the Justice League, and I actually enjoyed his run on the title. He wasn't flashy, but he did have a very recognizable style that lent itself well to the storytelling of that time period. For a bizarre side note, I think he was the first creator who died while working on a comic that I was reading. Yeah, because he died, and then Perez came on, like, immediately afterwards. He He's, yeah, that story is a bizarre story, because it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want to be crass and, and be grateful that somebody died, but, I mean, if he hadn't died, we might have never gotten that awesome run with, with Perez, and that... I mean, that was some of the stuff that pulled me into comics as a very young collector because one of the first things I can remember getting off the rack and just falling in love with was the issue of uh, Justice League of America. It's the one where uh, Superman and the, the Justice League are being attacked by the tornado tyrant and Superman's flying through him. And I think that's also the issue that contained the, the preview special for All-Star Squadron. And I loved that. I just I, I fell in love with that art, you know, as, as a kid. And, and, you know, was years later before I'd realized, you know, who it was and start tracking down his stuff and all that. But, yeah, I love that. So, because it was so very different from the Justice League of just a short while before that Dick Dillon was doing. While, um, while I am, I, I've kind of gotten away from buying trades, I am kind of disappointed that in the George Perez JLA library edition book that DC released recently, mm-hmm. uh, that was putting in hardcover all of George Perez's JLA issues, that they actually start that book in the middle of a story. Because they start in his first issue, because Dick Dillon did the one previous to that. Mm. And that's not in there. It will be in the Crisis on Multiple Earths Volume 5, which is finally coming out in April of this year, with a pretty badass George Perez cover. Uh... Which I like, even though I've been enjoying like the Jerry Ordway, especially the Jerry Ordway ones, but the Alex Ross covers to those trades, uh, because those are how I've been able to read these things. Oh, so, okay. um, kind of glad that at least the entire story will be collected somewhere in Toto, because that's that's just I would feel ripped off if I opened up a book and it said, "By the way, this is the second part of the story. Here's what happened in the first part, and now let's go. right." That that's that's kind of crappy. 
maybe I'm in the minority here, but in addition to collecting comics as a youngster, I also collected baseball and football cards. I even played Little League Baseball for one season until it became obvious to me that I could neither field nor hit an actual baseball. <laughs> that, that was me too. Uh, my love for comics was foremost, however, and after a few years, I traded my cards to other kids for more comics. Good man! Mm-hmm. Good man! I never collected Stand any new sports cards, but I got a ton of non-sports cards that I collected over the years. Yeah, and you, you collected during an era where, you know, like, freaking Terms of Endearment got a Tops freaking <laughs> card series, it seemed. I mean, I've got... I've, okay. My my collection runs the gamut from awesome ones like you know all the Star Wars sets you know the blue and the yellow and the red and all those to absolute shit ones like you know an American Tale two and Jaws three D and shit like that so, yeah it's all over the place <laughs> okay that's it for now weather permitting my family and I are headed south to warmer snow free climates <laughs> good luck <laughs> uh, for Christmas <laughs> sorry hope he wasn't coming to Georgia <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Though? It was. We um, had snow in Southtown. It was pretty cool, man. Hope you and yours have a fantastic holiday and a better 2010. Much appreciation and many thanks for hours of entertainment. Stan. Yeah, there's there was snow on the ground for days. Because mm-hmm. usually when it snows in this state, Scott and I live an hour apart, basically. And when it snows, it snows for a day and then it melts the next right. day. Uh, last Friday, we got a good bit of snow in. Not, not deep, but... Around here, if there's like if, if the weatherman even says snow, there is a state law in Georgia that says you must go to Kroger <laughs> and buy bread and milk. Right. If you don't, you are fined. Um, but uh, thankfully, I was able to get to work the next morning because I had to be there at like the ass crack of dawn, <laughs> and I was kind of worried that the the roads were going to be kind of icy. But mo- most of the ice had had worn off by then on the main roads which is how I get to work. So, uh, but it was kind of cool. I, I was like, I was giddy as a, a schoolboy all day. <laughs> I was like, it snowed. No. I remember this. <laughs> all righty. Next up. All right. We got another one from Jose Rivera. He's writes uh, His subject line is fine and dandy like sour candy. I love this. <laughs> Says, hey guys, another great episode. Solomon Grundy has been one of my uh, one of my favorite villains. When you guys were talking about how you wish DC would uh, take a not so well known character and really do something with them, James Robinson did that with Grundy, and he's absolutely right. He actually shames me yes. with saying that because I had forgotten. Somehow I forgot about that during the uh, the Starman series. He did make Grundy a very very cool character. Very sympathetic character, more so than Roy, what Roy Thomas did with him in Infinity Incorporated. That's true. He says, and thank God uh, I wasn't the only one who thought Dr. Fate looked like Val Kilmer on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> this was yet another odd hostess ad, and that's saying something for hostess ads. While Green Lantern, uh, while Green Lantern walking into a room asking, what's going on here, was funny. I'm wondering, what the hell was he doing walking around a building in the first place? <laughs> It's nice to see John Landis take some time away from his busy directing career to take on the scientist as Dr. Live. And what was up with the boom lightning bolt? Uh, anyone get the feeling this was supposed to be a Captain Marvel ad and they just threw Green Lantern in for the hell of it? It very, it very likely could be. You never know. I wonder if Dr. Live was put on trial for killing Vic Morrow and two kids. Oh. 
harsh. <laughs> he says, well, there's so much more I'd love to say. Uh, I feel bad uh, as I feel like I'm monopolizing the email section. No, not at all, man. Don't feel that way at all. As a matter of fact, I have a couple of other uh, non-email feedback pieces from Jose that I'll get to later where he says something very, very similar. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he was referring to. No, we love feedback. Don't ever feel like uh, you know, like you're writing too much or, or writing too long or anything. We love it. Keep sending it. He says, but then again, uh, Dion uh, might have the title on that one. <laughs> we'll put Dion and Jose in a cage together. <laughs> Welcome to Thunderdome, Raggedy Man. <laughs> Since he's the resident regular listener on this show, I call Shotgun on second regular listener. Guys, you make me laugh every week. Jose, you just made me freaking laugh right now. <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's excellent. Um, all righty, got a got another one from our friend uh, Thomas DJ of Better in the Dark and DJ Comics Cavalcade. I always screw that one up. Which you can find both of those shows at www.earth-2.net. I clearly forgot. Thomas writes about Hal Jordan's greatest enemy, the nefarious Doctor Live. <laughs> I'm sure Martin Campbell is scrambling to include uh, that tight enough. <laughs> also, I feel a little less frisian when you guys mentioned the letter from Woodhaven, New York, for you see, I lived in Woodhaven for the bulk of my teen years. And Scott, uh, the reason, actually, that reminds me of something. I, uh, we hooked our Wii up to the internet, and now we can look at news, and there was actually news from Watertown, New York. Oh, awesome. What was the news? It was some sports news. I forget what it was. And Scott, the reason Wildcat is my all-time favorite JSA JSAer <laughs> is because he's just the guy that knows how to fight better than anyone, and that's all capitalized. <laughs> Look at it this way. Ted Grant is so skilled at kicking ass, and hey, as you pointed out in Episode 7, he practically turned Hawkman into a feathered red smear on the pavement that all the superpower guys don't see anything wrong with palling around with him. It's indicative of the level of respect for his skills that Green Lantern, Hour Man, Flash, and the like actively include them in their reindeer games. Plus, he banged Selena Kyle on a regular basis. <laughs> now, granted, that Nine Lives thing Grant Morrison came up with to explain his vitality late in life, life never sat well with me. I always prefer thinking of his DC Universe's version of Jack Palance as that, namely, that guy too ornery to die. <laughs> but it's easy to ignore. You ask me, he's still amongst my favorite uh, my top five DC characters. One more thing, I would like to think that Arc 2 would have had lots more years if it was actually titled Space <laughs> Keep up the good work, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I, I love that email. <laughs> Space Winnebago. That show needs to make a comeback. Right. <laughs> All right. We'll do one more for this episode. Yeah, one more. We got another one from Jose Rivera. Maybe he's right. Maybe he is monopolizing the emails. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, this one's just simply entitled Episode 8. He says, hey, guys, on the subject of All-Star Comics number 64, Earth 2 Kryptonians are fucking condescending. <laughs> That's right. I cursed, he says. Star Spangled Kid, a young man out of time, manages to get into a comfortable place where he has friends and decides to improve upon a gift given to him by one of the JSA and manages to make a thoughtful gift for a fellow teammate. And what do they do? One insults his intelligence while the other crushes a thoughtful gift and berates him. 
He's absolutely right, too. Yes, he is. As for the costume change, it's the uh, it's the one time you can actually use this joke in context. A wizard did it. <laughs> it's magic. Don't talk about it. Also, I'm curious about something. I'm reading from the trade, but throughout this storyline, the name changes from Injustice Gang to Injustice Society. I've always known them to be the Injustice Society, but what happened here? Ed- editorial mishap or strange retcon? Jose A. Rivera. On PS, he says, anyone but me notice in the hostess ads that the muse has a thought balloon on panel uh, on panel four, but feels the need to randomly shout in a word balloon except for eating delicious hostess cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great to see some guy just sitting there playing the piano and then, except for eating delicious hosted cupcakes. But the heroes do that kind of shit a lot, though, where they're thinking something in their head, and then, like, yeah. the last portion of what they're thinking, they actually say it out loud. That happens a lot in old, you know, like, like Bronze Age comics. I, I think the injustice gang thing was probably a mistake on the part of the writers because the Injustice gang was going through a big storyline over Injustice League as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it makes sense that it would go from Injustice gang to Injustice Society simply because somebody was kind of asleep at the wheel. <laughs> because I think the original name for the team was the Injustice gang of the world. Right. Uh, back in the 40s. So... I guess they changed it to Injustice Society to make them the opposite of the uh, of the Justice Society. So, you know, either way it works, but yeah, we, we did kind of notice that they messed up there, but I, I, I'm sure if we ask them, you know, it's been over 30 years at this point. So. <laughs> Good God. In five years, it'll be 40 years since oh, the, those books first started God, coming shut out. shut up. Yeah, I'm an ass. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. Oh, my God. Having a lot of fun with Lego Batman, though. <laughs> Lego Batman is I awesome. beat my video game already. You got nothing to play. Like, I got time for video games right now, yes. anyway. <laughs> well, what do you ah, say? Fuck. Ah. <laughs> what was that all about? I got a cardboard cut today at work. And I just went to turn the page of this comic, and ow. <laughs> That's not fun. No, not at all. But people are probably kind of laughing at it right now, so we need to <laughs> move on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, are we ready to go into our issue for this uh, episode? Yes, I, I am I am definitely ready. All right. This is All-Star Comics number 67. This is the July-August issue from 1977. Cover by Al Milgram and Jack Abel. Writer on this one is Paul Levitz. Illustrators are Joe Staten and Bob Layton. Awesome, awesome art team. Original cover price, 35 cents. Story is entitled The Attack of the Underlord. Roll call for this issue is Dr. Fate, The Flash, Hawkman, Power Girl, Robin, The Star Spangled Kid, and Wildcat. Okay, so in this one, here we go. While the Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat bitch and argue about whether or not to go into the pit, uh, creepy little dudes who look like boogers with legs, (laughs) and I'm not kidding, come up out of the hole and attack our heroes. They stun Wildcat and haul him off, and surprisingly... 
Power Girl clocks the star-spangled kid unconscious and allows him and herself to be captured as she secretly summons the JSA on her signal device. In Gotham City, Police Commissioner Wayne, the retired Batman of Earth 2, surveys the damage that Green Lantern did to Gotham Broadcasting and wonders what set his old teammate off and decides to investigate. It's also revealed that he and Dick Grayson have been exchanging messages about suspicions concerning their JSA colleagues. In Cape Town, South Africa, Robin, Dr. Fate, and The Flash, and Hawkman, rather, watched the operation to save our man's life uh, when they received Power Girl's trouble alert. Robin is left behind as the others rush off, and Dick Grayson receives a telegram from Bruce Wayne confirming his suspicions. At the bottom of the bottomless pit, Wildcat, Power Girl, and the Star-Spangled Kid come to and find themselves captives of the underworld Boogerman. (laughs) I can't say that without laughing. (laughs) Well, of course not. You just said Boogerman. Boogerman! There's a little five. Wasn't there a video game, something about Boogerman or something like that? Boogerman? I think there was a Boogerman video game, now that I think about it. Anyway, neither here nor there. Power Girl immediately breaks free and lays into their leader, Aaron. Amazingly, he uh, ends up subduing her and the others simply by knocking their heads together. (laughs) Not kidding about that either. Funny, uh, you know, it's it's funny though. You know, I figured that if you headbutted a Kryptonian, you'd simply cave your skull in. But yeah, no. But I can go. I can go along with the gag, I guess. Fate, Flash, and Hawkman show up at the hole just in time for Fate to pull the standard "sorry chums," but I got better shit to do, and he flies off. This is getting to be a real habit amongst the JSAers. I, you know, I told you I would point these things out, and I'm pointing it out. You know, I, I just got to say, it, it really does get to be a little bit much. Hawkman and Flash, they descend, and uh, Fate, is uh, he's gone off to pay a visit to Commissioner Wayne. He and Wayne exchange some strong words, and the accusations fly, uh, and when Fate disappears in a puff of smoke, Wayne has had enough. He puts out an APB on the Justice Society. Dun, 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 dun. Down in the hole, Flash and Hawkman are pissed to find that Power Girl deliberately got everybody dragged down to Middle-Earth, and they shockingly refuse to participate any further. Star-Spangled Kid and Wildcat, whoever, shame them both by going into action and uh, rush in to support their comrade in battle. Power Girl manages to finally knock the daylights out of Eren, uh, but not before there is a tense moment when she believes the Star-Spangled Kid may have been killed. He turns out to be just fine, and the seeds are planted that maybe, just maybe, Power Girl is beginning to reciprocate his feelings for her. Lucky son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty much our... So what did you think of this one? Um, the art just keeps getting better and better on this title. Mm Mm-hmm. I, you know, we're really going to talk about this in a couple of episodes um, with uh, issue 69, uh, 68, rather. But, man, he loves to draw Power Girl. And he especially likes to draw, as we mentioned last time, Power Girl's ass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But But um, I like to look at him drawing Power Girl's ass. So it's a win-win. You know, it, it strikes me, too, that looking at her costume here... It's going to sound really weird uh, because you know normally I don't think of line drawings as as sexy. I mean I appreciate it on a certain level, but uh, 
I think Power Girl is sexier without the the hole cut out of her chest than with. Oh yeah. Because it's go it goes up to her neck. It I am of the opinion that what you don't see is often more tantalizing than what you do see. And I, and I, and I think we both agree that Terry Hatcher and Denise Crosby are perfect. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I totally am on board with what you're saying. Um, and I think really, you know, it, it's not that it's, it's not that I'm against the, against the over-sexualization of female characters, because I think it happens way too much in comics nowadays. Ed Benes needs to be fucking slapped upside the head. Because every time he has a female character on panel, she's either thrusting her tits or her ass towards the camera. And it's just after a while, that's not storytelling. That doesn't give me anything about the character. It's a cheesecake shot. You know, I love the female form, believe me. But I think she looks a lot better like this, where right. where there isn't that gaping hole with cleavage. Right. Uh, there's more Bruce Wayne in this, which I absolutely love. God, that scene between him and and Dr. Fate is just awesome. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact, and this is on page 11, that it's the first panel of the page. They're arguing, and the shadows on the wall... Uh, oh, the yeah. Fate's shadow is like a um, a justice scale, uh, or a scale, an old fashioned scale. And Batman's is the is the shadow of the bat, and it's just like wow, that's a really great artistic choice for uh, describing the. Just you see the two characters, but then you see who they really are, right, against the wall, and that's just freaking awesome. Yeah, I really like this. I uh, I wish that the that the history or, or whatever you want to call it, the continuity was a little bit tighter because we had just seen the Earth Two Batman mm-hmm. in that uh, that Justice League story. I forget what issues it was. I mentioned it last time around, and you know chalk it up to to Dick Dillon's art, I guess. But he looked pretty much exactly like the Earth-1 Batman, so there was nothing to, to differentiate him. In this one, this is very much Bruce Wayne, you know, in his late years. You know, he's very gray. He, he looks very much like an old man, and it would be... I would I would think it would be very strange... <clears throat> excuse me, very strange to see this Bruce Wayne as Batman. I think he would look a little bit odd back in costume myself. I, I really like this. I, I like the aged heroes. You know, I really like seeing them like this. I I like the fact that he looks like a man that that spent his younger years putting his body through hell. Right. And there's a great story. I don't know if it's in a Brave and the Bold issue, but it reveals how Bruce Wayne came to marry the woman he married on Earth 2. We're not going to reveal it yet. That's a couple uh, episodes off. Right. But it's this great issue where where they just obviously are drawing on the Golden Age Batman history. And at one point, Batman is teamed up with one of his his old enemies. And he has his shirt off, and she looks at his back, and it's covered in scars. And you just got to think, that's what would freaking happen. This guy, they kind of did it in Nightfall. Right before Nightfall, I mean, I know you decry Nightfall a little bit, and I see your problems with it because they did the same story in Batman number 400. But one of the setups for Nightfall 
was that Bruce Wayne's body was breaking down because of all the scar tissue that was on and in him. Right. And you got to think that that's going to put a toll on it. It's it's one of the holes in Dark Knight Returns because I'm sorry if you've been out of if you've been out of the game for ten years, you're not going to jump back in with the same vim, vigor, and or pep as you had when you were a younger right. Man. So, uh, but I agree with you completely. It's great seeing him in this context. He is used so well mm-hmm. in the rest of this series and the way everything plays out. Um, page 14 with the Hawkman Flash thing. Well, fuck you too. Jesus Christ. She needs to be taught a lesson. Thanks, guys. This is a great team dynamic. Just leaving one of your own to go hang because you think she needs to be taught a lesson. Now, I wonder if this uh, if this could be chalked up to that it's not so much a character inconsistency, but that it's tying into the story that's coming up, if you know what I mean. It might be, but, but that's the thing about Paul Levitz, is that he seems to be using the odd characterization of past stories as a, as a plot point. Mm. But Bruce thinks something is up with the Justice Society because they've been acting so weird. Right. And they've been acting weird because of just the kind of haphazard nature of the first, you know, six or seven issues of this series. Right. And I, and I like the fact that he's he's not ignoring it, but he's using it to go, no, 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 wait. It it's not like this is what we had in mind all along. Right. But at the same time, it's it's neat when people clean up messes that they didn't cause. Right. Unlike nowadays with the door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman approach to comic book storytelling. <laughs> you know, you, you bring in the guy with the, the vacuum stuck 5,000, he's going to put you, put a bunch of shit on your carpet, and then he's going to vacuum it up and go, see, it cleaned it up, and that's exactly what storytellers do today. Right. So, I, I like to see, that's why Crisis was so good. Crisis on Infinite Earths. They weren't fixing a problem they caused. They were fixing a problem they saw as a problem that other people made and tried to make a good story out. Right. Uh, but man, you know, I'm just not hot on this plot. This was a really dumb story. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but it was. I mean. <laughs> Now, Mayhem in Middle-Earth, are you trying to get the Tolkien fans to read your issue? Yeah. I, is, that, is that what I'm getting from here? I would really like to see a moratorium of, like, for the rest of my life, of <laughs> no more creatures from the middle of the Earth coming to menace man or whatever. I'm, You know, these kind of stories were awesome back in, you know, back in the day, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty much tired of I mean, how many friggin' you know, races have there got to be living under the surface of the earth between Marvel and DC? I mean, you know, yeah. you, you you can't poke a hole in the ground without running into a lava man or, you know, one of these booger creatures or a mole man or something. It's like, god damn, you know. How do they ever drill for oil with all these guys, you know, living underground? So, yeah, I'm pretty tired well, of them. According to Superman and the Mole Man, you know, that shit brings out the creatures. <laughs> Page two, is everyone green in your copy? Yes, too? yeah, there's a coloring okay. error in the, in the book, yeah. I mean, it's not that green women aren't sexy. I, I happen to kind of... <laughs> 
have a thing for green women. She-Hulk, Alphaba, half the chicks Captain Kirk banged. <laughs> <laughs> Except the skanky Monica Lewinsky ones. <laughs> I about freaking died when you guys were comparing <laughs> Captain Kirk to Bill Clinton. No, Chris <laughs> on that episode. Chris compared them. I, I just kind of went along with the gag, but uh, not a big Bill Clinton fan myself. <laughs> big Captain Kirk fan, not a big Bill Clinton fan. So what do we got for ads in this one? We got yeah. The, unfortunately, that's it. So you had even less notes than yeah. I, did. I really don't have a whole lot in there. I mean, I, I you know here's here's the weird dilemma that we're in now that we're into these issues with the with the Staten and Layton artwork. I'm loving it for the art because yeah. the art is absolutely beautiful, but the story. Yeah, the story. It, we're still a couple of issues away from this title really, really picking right. up. Because once it does, it doesn't let up. You know, it, you know there are it's especially with the introduction of a character and a couple of issues. Right. That's when this book really came alive. Right. Um, but yeah, for right now, meh. <laughs> I hate to say it because I like Paul Levitz as a writer, and I like. And like you, I'm loving the art, but it's just like I, they went to Middle Earth and fought people. This was an episode of the fucking Super Friends. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was. <laughs> it's not bad though. It's not bad. It's no. just it's not you know it's not high art or anything. Oh yeah, the, the, this isn't like you know. Oh God, what's what's a good comparison to make this make this to of uh, of, of just really horribly wretched comics it's not that at all it's just you know there's comics i love there's comics i like and there's comics that i i just sort of read through and go okay uh, because i know something better is coming along and it's part of a larger series that i like so but ads um skipping over the hostess one because we like to uh, save that for last at last you can fly superman (laughs) And apparently Batman, Captain America, and and Spider-Man, because they all fly too, don't they? See, I love these apps, though, from back in the day when it would mix the Marvel and the DC characters together. It just always seemed so natural to me that they all hung out and they were all together. You know, I I didn't think anything of that as a kid. Well, you had the Migos. Yeah. I mean, my Migos all hung out together. You know, I didn't differentiate... DC and Marvel characters. I mean, my my kids do. It's weird. I watch my kids play with their figures, and they segregate. They do. They segregate their characters. They've got the DCs, and they've got the Marvels. As a kid, I never segregated my characters. I, I didn't. I, to me, they all lived in the in the one world together. You know, they were all buddies. Yeah, I mean, I'll do you one better. My... My the few Transformers I had, my He-Man figures, my Star Wars figures, my Superpowers figures, uh, you know, my GI Joes—they were all part of the big rich tapestry of my youth. <laughs> Actually, for a while there, the Star Wars figures served as the secret identities to my right. uh, Superpowers figures. But that's that's neither here nor there. But th- basically, what these things are is essentially they're glorified paper airplanes. Right. Uh, you you hook them basically up up to a slingshot, and it flies through the air. Uh, minutes of fun, I would assume. Yeah, 
until it disintegrated. <laughs> I remember these uh, things. I never had one, but I remember them. They didn't work worth the shit. Super sea monkeys. Because regular sea monkeys just aren't good enough. They were brine sh- shrimp, folks. That's all they were. I never got them, thank God. <laughs> they always look like I've seen them. They look like something you would drink really fast because you have a cold. You know, it's just it's just very strange. The super sea monkeys never... Sea mon- These ads are so richly drawn, and then you get the real thing, and it's like a horrible letdown. <laughs> Um, the American Circle Group across from page nine that has the X-ray specs and the uh, snowstorm tablets and mm-hmm. magic color clouds. I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting into the era where the ads started sucking more and more. Didn't yeah, they? there's not a whole lot of great ones in this. We got a stupid disco rock ad. There is a really good one though. Um, Disco rock. Right, basically, right in the middle of the book, you've got uh, an ad for one of the limited collector's editions. This is, oh, what is this? Yeah. I can't see the number. It's like C51, I think. It's uh, the the whole Ra's al storyline in one giant novel. Four classic Ra's al stories gathered in one giant by uh, Denny O'Neill uh Neil Adams, Irv Norvik, and uh, Dick Giordano. There is nothing wrong with anything you just said. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. I ha- actually and have this, and it's, it's the, just the fact that it's reprinted on such a huge scale. You know, that beautiful Neil Adams artwork. I. Uh, it's kind of odd and ironic, too, because we were talking about Rachel Ghoul. Yeah. And what an awesome Batman villain he was before we actually started recording today. So <laughs> that's 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 kind of cool. On the on the next on the next page, soccer fans come see Cosmos with Pele. I guess this is when Pele was like the 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 shit as far as soccer is concerned. When once again, America some some shadowy government conspiracy tried to make soccer a popular sport in this country. To this day, he's the only thing I know about soccer is Pele. Actually, I played soccer when I was a kid. From second through fifth grade, I was in the soccer league. So, uh, the Wow, you can fuck off and die. Um, in a fire. Um, oh! Knocking on wood so that doesn't happen. Uh, we've got another Neil Adams DC subscription ad on the bottom, this time with Superman holding a copy of the Dollar Comic Superman Family, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got more kind of boring hodgepodge ads. Uh, then apparently we have an ad where Batman's new ability is to shoot underwear at oh socks at you. <laughs> uh, I thought it was underwear at first for some reason, but it's uh, check out these... It says, check these out, Batman fans. Okay, Batmania fans. Next time you find yourself with no way out, count on your nifty Batman power-shooting grappling hook. Now... It's it's a suction cup. Yeah, do, do you remember, there was different heroes had these, because there was a yes. Spider-Man one. And I used to go through those Spider-Man ones like crazy. I know I had several of them as a kid. It's a good they were only two bucks then. Yeah. Because they were cool, though. You know, you'd wear it on your wrist, and if you flicked your wrist just the right way, the, the arrow or the suction cup type thing would shoot out and stick to something like, you know, like your TV screen or something. And it had the, had the wire on 
around and I, I thought that you know it was pretty awesome as a kid you know you could pretend to swing around and stuff like Spider-Man it was pretty cool yeah, my, I, I flicked my wrist a special way once, and my mom t- told me to stop doing it or I'd go blind. <laughs> um, there's 100% cotton sensational socks. I don't know any boy that would be caught dead wearing Wonder Woman socks. Just, uh, just, 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 just throwing that out there. And the amazing new bat plane with launcher. Just press the release and watch it soar, make a loop, circle, turn. I bet you anything it's with... W- w- just press the release and watch the plane plummet to the ground <laughs> and really not do all that much because these things weren't all that spectacular. Right. They looked cool in the ad and that's where it stopped. Uh, next to page 16, you have the amazing air breathing crazy crabs. I think they have a, I think they have a comb for this. I think they have a cream for that. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, if you were getting crazy crabs in the seventies, you were just hitting that disco a little too much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The next ad, though, I love this ad. The super group excitement. Yeah. Okay, that was a horrible segue, given what I just said. But uh, we've got ads for the Secret Society of Supervillains. From the Flash's Rogues Gallery to the Secret Society comes the Trickster. But which side is he really on? It's got this badass cover with Kid Flash running around Gorilla Grodd. I think that's a Rich Buckler cover, if I remember right. The answer in Secret Society of Supervillains number eight. Darkseid lives! Don't you mean Darth Vader? (laughs) Um, The secret of the universe within his grasp. Can the new gods stop him in time? Return of the new gods! On sale April 21st. And I really like this ad. I think this is another Rich Rich Buckler ad. I mean, a cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the Freedom Fighters. Will the Crusaders replace the Freedom Fighters? Now... I don't know if you know about this, but this seems to be like one of those things I read about years ago, but I could be mixing it up with something else. At this point in the Freedom Fighters, like in issue 9 and 10 and 11, somewhere around there, they had this group called the Crusaders Show. Right. And basically, it was the Avengers. I always thought they were supposed to be the Invaders, but yeah, I guess it could be the Avengers. No, that's right, the Invaders. Because at the same time, or around the same time, the Invaders had a group come in called the Crusaders. Right. That were kind of like the Justice League. Right. So I'm wondering if I'm right or wrong on that. If anybody knows, please tell me. Uh, But I love this ad, and it shows the, uh, the leader of the Crusaders... Only you kids can help me defeat these enemies of America. Wanted. Foes of the nation. And it has pictures of the Freedom Fighters. At least it's not that Indian group. <laughs> kind of, that was kind of offensive. This guy, I don't know what his name is, but he's pretty cool looking. He, he's like, uh, he looks a lot like Captain America with the colors just a little mixed up. Mm-hmm. He's pretty cool. Uh, we have a D- another DC Publish Oreo, uh, Publish Oreo by Jeanette Kahn called Remember the Five Cent Phone Call. Uh, this has DC pr- got to be about the price going. Yeah, and and I think I think we've beat it into the ground, but I think we'd love to go back to dollar. Comics. Yes. <laughs> um, we have a DC profile of Paul Levitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through his kind of history that was written by Mike Gold. Uh, and then we have some. Um, super bodybuilding courses with pictures that make me uncomfortable. You also have on the back cover a Spalding ad <laughs> with Rick Barry and Dr. Dr. J. J. Yep. <laughs> Drawn by, I believe, the guy that did all that wacky stuff for Mad Magazine. Jack Davis, yep. 
Jack Davis, yes. That's weird as shit to see that. Hey, look, it's Rick Barry and Dr. J. A lot of comics in this era had this ad on the back cover, though. Oh, yes, it did. Because, once again, go outside and play, kids. (laughs) But you know what that brings us to? It's that time again. (gasps) Hostess. Another one with Batman, and god damn, we get a lot of these with Batman and Robin. Okay, this one is one of the most ridiculous ones of, and I mean, that's saying a fucking mouthful when you're talking about hostess ads, but yeah, this one is just completely absurd. But uh... Okay, so we, we, we start out with Robin and Batman seeing a winged woman using uh, birds to carry off the Statue of Liberty, and Robin says, Stealing the Statue of Liberty? Holy cow! Pigeon Woman will clip your wings. The name's Pigeon Person, Robin. You imitation bird, you'll never stop me. We'll see, you foul-feathered fiend. Tomorrow we seal America's last statue, and an America without statue is an America without a past. (laughs) (laughs) The Bat-Computer has plotted Pigeon Person's next plot. She plans to pluck Mount Rushmore. We got a plan. We got a counter plan, but we'll need your help. And they're talking to military. If you can depend on us, we'll do, Batman. There's Mount Rushmore, a sitting duck, just waiting to be taken. Ha ha. Okay, I'd like to point out at this point that Mount Rushmore is literally a fucking mountain. You can't just pluck it up and carry it off like a statue. Okay, it's a goddamn mountain. <laughs> okay, now back to our regularly scheduled hostess set. So Batman and Robin show up with a, with in the Batcopter, and they throw a net over her. No, no, not delicious hostess cupcakes, devil's food cake, wonderful cream filling. My birds will do anything for that. That's right. Even betray you. Pigeon person, get ready to have your feathers plucked. Pigeon person, you'll be caged for a long time. Thanks to our planning and your own birds. I can't blame my pigeons for betraying me. Even a bird brain knows that a hostess cupcake is the beak, and the beak is worth two statues in the street. <laughs> what? <laughs> you get a big delight a- in every bite of hostess cupcakes. You know that that's like when I was reading the novelization of episode three, and and he decided and and Matthew Stover. It's a great novel, by the way. I absolutely love the book. Uh, I read it before seeing the movie, which made the movie kind of more disappointing. But uh, he he took the the phrase "God doesn't close a door; he opens a window," and he applied it to the force. And I fucking hate that shit. <laughs> I really do. And, and and it's the same here. A hostess cupcake in the beak is worth any two statues in the street. <laughs> What in the hell is going on on this page? All right, you know, I can forgive pigeons carrying off the Statue of Liberty at the very beginning, but I don't care if you marshaled every fucking pigeon on the planet. You're not going to pick up Mount Rushmore, okay? (laughs) It's attached. It's literally a goddamn mountain. It's not a statue. It's not like somebody just put it there. Oh my God! That they they carved it out, out of the rock, much to the chagrin of the Indians of the of the Native Americans of that area, <laughs> who are still protesting it. By the way, oh seriously, yeah. Oh God. There is a stat. There is a carving nearby of a Native American figure. Uh, I was watching this on a on a special about Thanksgiving, so 
it's kind of interesting to see, oddly enough. But uh, but yeah, that that's the hostess ad. That that's like seventeen different types of messed up. Really, <laughs> I, I I I really can't describe how effed up that really is. I mean, good God in heaven, what the hell is going on in front of me? That makes even less sense than Final Crisis. Well, you know, speaking, it's funny you should say Final Crisis because I was actually thinking about. Infinite Crisis. While okay. while we were reading this host sad, and here's why: one of the things that really irritated the hell out of me with Infinite Crisis was Jeff Johns feeling the need to kill off just oodles and oodles of lesser tier, lesser known characters like my beloved Neptune Perkins and characters like that. Jeff Johns, next time around, kill off some of these fucking people pigeon person <laughs> and the muse you know nobody's gonna miss these assholes bump them off you know <laughs> so leave my characters alone anyway what do we got next well, we got uh, elsewhere in the uh in the dc multiverse yes let's see we got uh this month uh black lightning number three what else looks good here? Jonah Hex number three. Now the early issues of Jonah Hex's solo series after he left uh, Weird Western Tales were drawn by uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Man, even if you don't like westerns or you think you won't like Jonah Hex, some of that early stuff is definitely worth checking out. Especially like the origin of Hex, which was right around I think it was issue like eight and nine or nine and ten or something like that. Really, really good stuff. I love the cover to this Superman family. Which one is? Oh, where he's sticking the pennies in his ears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're toy, we're we're toy man sticking. It's just, oh god, the covers to Superman family around this time were awesome. I can't say the same thing for the stories inside because some of them were largely forgettable. Right. I think this is one of the ones I reviewed on uh, Two True Freaks not long ago was the issue where... I was enjoying those, by the way. I need to pick that up again. I, I was enjoying doing that myself, and for some reason I just kind of let it fall by the wayside, but I need to pick that back up. What else do we got? Batman 289. I'm pretty sure that's a Mike Grell cover on that one. I can't remember what the story was in that, though. Oh, it looks awesome, though. Jim Aparo cover on Batman Family number twelve with Robin on his uh, on his red motorcycle. I always love that. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. That, this is this is the era of Robin and Batgirl being a team. Yep. So I liked that too. I, man, you know, I, I wish they'd let her get up out of her chair and be Batgirl again and team up with uh, with Dick Grayson or somebody. I, I'd love to not see that. Going stuff. to say anything? Oh, okay. <laughs> Because it will lead to a <laughs> okay a argument between the two of us. Because as much as I like her as Batgirl, I really like her as uh, as Oracle. Ah, I like her as Oracle. I just I don't know. I mean, so while we're busy pressing the reset button all over the place in both Marvel <laughs> and DC, why not press that reset button and bring back uh, Ro- you know Dick Grayson, Robin? Don't. In his slipper out, you know, no no legs, slipper uniform, and and put put Barbara Gordon back in the Batgirl outfit. Don't uh don't 
don't uh, don't tempt them. They probably will. <laughs> hey, I'd buy that. Uh, let's the ca- the character on that cover of Freedom Fighters was the Americommando. Americommando. That's right. I knew that. If I thought about it, that's right. Action Comics four seventy three, where Superman's fighting a whole bunch of the Phantom Zone villains. That's a pretty good story too. Um, okay, one of the saddest comics you'll ever read. Adventure Comics uh, 452, Death of a Major Character. And this story breaks my heart every time I read it. I I won't spoil it, even though it's, God, what, probably pushing 40 years old. I won't spoil who dies. But uh, if you ever get a chance to read it, fantastic, fantastic story. Aquaman was forever altered by the events of that story, and it's a really, really good read. Have you ever read that one? Uh, no, unfortunately I haven't. It's really, really good. Scalp Hunter punching the shit out of somebody on the cover of Weird Western Tales 41. I've read all of these Scalp Hunter stories. I, I have a complete run of Weird Western Tales. I liked him. Man, I wish he'd come back. He's what? He's cool. While you were, uh, while you were talking, I did a little research and discovered that indeed I was onto something with that Crusaders thing because the Americommando was based on uh, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Barracuda, another member of the Crusaders, was based on Namor. Fireball was based on the Human Torch. Rusty was based on Bucky. And Sparky was based on Toro. Now, I said the Crusaders for the, the Marvel team, but actually I was thinking of the Liberty Legion. That's right. Yeah. Who was made up of the Blue Diamond, Jack Frost... Miss America, the Patriot, Red Raven, the Thin Man, and the Wizard. And if you Wizard, if you look at these characters, I see the Flash. Right. I see Plastic Man. I see Hawkman. I see a. I don't know who the Ice character would be. An, an approximation of, but Miss America could definitely be Wonder Woman, and the Blue Diamond and the Patriot could just be Batman and Superman, basically. So it's kind of interesting that they both had those types of things. And if you've ever, if you've never read the Invaders, uh, I would suggest picking up the issues. Uh, I really would. It's an interesting team. It really is. It, it doesn't have the same feel as the JSA. Uh, it actually is closer to the All Star Squadron. So I'll probably be talking a little more about the title when we get to the All Star Squadron. But. Uh, no, I just kind of like uh, I just had completely forgotten about the Barracuda and Sparky and Rusty. <laughs> God, those are terrible names. Um, anything else I like on this cover? I like that Shazam cover number thirty with Superman clocking <laughs> Captain Marvel. You know what it looks? As I'm looking at it, it's a real small picture, so I can't see all the details. But it almost looks like he's knocking him out of his chair. It looks like he caught him sleeping at work, and he's, like, knocking him out of his chair, like, get up, you lazy son of a bitch. It's, it's really funny as I'm looking at it. His cap's in kind of a seated position, and it just looks like Superman's, like, knocking him over. It's funny. I love it. All right. All right, finally in this exercised, extra-sized episode, ex- exercised episode. Exercised episode. Though, though we did get a wee fit, so I may be using that soon. Um, finally, we have the character profile. And this time, since we have gone through all of the so-called Super Squad characters, now we're getting into the more classic characters, we have chosen Jay Garrick himself, the Flash. <laughs> 
was created by Gardner Fox and Harry Lampert and first appeared in Flash Comics number one, January 1940, just like Hawkman. College student Jay Garrick was pretty much a failure on the football field. He was pretty good at science, though, and during a late night experiment, he stops for a smoke. Not kidding, folks. He actually stops for a cigarette and becomes overwhelmed by hard water vapors. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just letting everyone have their laugh at that one. After a stint in the hospital, he finds that he has super speed and uses it at first to become a football hero and then to save the life of the woman he had a thing for, Joan Williams, who could give a shit about him. <laughs> <laughs> From there, he became The Flash. He was a founding member of the JSA, and eventually had three sidekicks, Winky, Blinky, and Naughty, who recently got killed in the pages of Justice League Cry for Justice. James Robinson killed him off. Off Off-camera, even, which is how DC does things today. Uh... He retired in the 50s like everybody else, but he was the very first Golden Age hero to return because the Barry Allen Flash was the first new wave of heroes in the Silver Age for DC. Mm. He, at some point, married Joan Williams, and, and, and that's one of the things I like about Jay Garrick, is he had a really good marriage. Uh, somebody asked me on another podcast I'm on what superhero I'd like to be, and I actually said I'd like to be Jay Garrick, because he's got such a solid base, he's a respected member of his community, and he's got a woman that loves him. You know, they never had kids, which is unfortunate, but uh, I love Jay Garrick to death. He is my favorite member of the Justice Society of America, hands down. No questions asked. Oh, wow. That's the guy. I l- oh, man. Can't get enough of him. His silver age, I mean, his golden age stories are kind of interesting too. They're 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 a little goofy at times, but much more readable than some of the other golden age <laughs> stories we went through. <laughs> well, anything else for this episode? That's it. I'm spent. Uh, I'm not even going to touch that. Uh, wow. <laughs> Can they find this book anywhere else? I don't know, because I didn't research that. <laughs> I forgot. This is also in Justice Society of America, Volume 1 from DC Comics. Awesome. So there you go. <laughs> Stop slacking off, Gardner. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's pitiful. And, uh, you've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www. 
www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm.